as Howard said, my name is Nathan Thomas. I'm one of the elders here. If you don't know me, come find me, say hello. My wife, Shauna, who's right there, is on the front row. We've been members here about 10 years. In addition to being one of the elders, I, I head up discipleship. So you're going to probably get a few more verses than usual and, and a, a little bit of drilling down, so please don't fall asleep. Then we do have some optional homework, optional homework assignments that you can do. Um, you know, Alan reached out to me about six weeks ago and texted me and said, hey, you know, I'm going to be out of town. Do you mind covering for me? And I didn't answer. And he texted me on a few other things, and I answered. And, and a couple of weeks later, he's like, hey, did you miss that text? I said, no, I, I didn't. Um, he goes, you know, can you do this? It's, it's on Revelation. So for, you, for those of you who don't know, I am not uh, a trained um, theological seminarian, whatever the word is. I'm a computer scientist. So this is a little bit outside my comfort zone. Um, if I say something wrong, you can shout up and scream heresy, you know, whatever floats your boat. But um, just be gracious with me. This is revelation. I mean, I didn't get to do just, you know, John 3:16, for God so loved the world. I literally have to close out the end of time and God coming down and dwelling among his people. No pressure. Uh, but, you know, I, um, I want us real quick, I'm going to grab your Bibles, open up with me before we dive into Revelation. If you'll turn with me to Psalms 46. And sorry, I'm not in the cadence of, you're going to probably use that word a couple more times, of getting everything on the screen, so it's not going to be easy, digestible up there. So pull out your Bibles. We're mainly going to be in Revelation. But I want to start us off in Psalms 46. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to pray. And by God's grace, all of the craziness of last week is going to stop for just a few minutes. And as we're going to see today, God so desires to be with us. If you don't hear anything else today, God loves you. And we're going to talk about an eternity, but as we talked about now, we're we're going to be over the next month celebrating the first time that God came down to earth in the form of Jesus. He has come and he has made a way. Okay? So let's read this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. I want you to catch, there's some themes here we're going to pick up in Revelation. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. His, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. We read all that to get to these next few words. Be still and know that I am God. Another translation says, stop and acknowledge 
that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, we look to you today. And I ask you by your spirit, Lord, help us stop. Lord, may ours, for those of us in here who are your, your children, Lord, who are Christians, who your spirit dwells in us, Lord, Father, just help our spirit bear witness to you, to us, that you are God. And Father, for those who aren't your children here, Father, by your grace, reveal to them, you are God. Lord, I submit myself to you. Lord, you know, um, I so desperately want people just to know you. Help us, Lord, as we dig into your word. Lord, Father, open our eyes. Lord, as we fast forward and look at the, just at the, at the end of time and the edge of eternity, Lord, Father, I pray that it wouldn't just be something that we look off and say, wow, that'll be great one day. But, Father, may it bring conviction in our heart to live rightly for you, Lord. Help us be faithful. Lord, we're going to talk today about the call just to be faithful. Um, help us, Lord. We love you. Thank you for everyone in this room, Lord. Father, I pray that if your voice speaks today, Lord, as the author of Hebrews repeats over and over again, Father, may we not harden our hearts. As they did, Lord, Father, soften our hearts. Help us, Lord, in the midst of all of the chaos of this world, Lord, as the nations rage, to just hear your voice today. Amen. All right. Let's go to Revelation. So, we've been in Revelation, what, for three or four weeks now? And um, it's written by who? John. Right? He wrote the book of John as well, most likely. It's, he's one of the, most likely, we're not sure, but he's, he's probably one of the apostles. Um, Apostle John definitely wrote the book of John. Um, why did he write it? I'm not, I want to make sure, just kind of land us in, why did he write it? There was really two reasons. And he lays this out in um, Revelations 1-3, which serves as the prologue. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And his, he's got two main goals. The first goal is a pastoral goal, and it's what we're going to talk about today. By pastoral, I mean it's a call to us. It is to remain faithful. You see that over and over again. We're going to talk about it, but there's, there, there's the word, he who conquers, he who conquers. And we're going to talk about that. To him who conquers, certain promises are given. And the other point is... Oh my goodness, I'm just going to pick this up and walk with y'all. Pardon me, I need my notes. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. The other theme is simply theological. So theological is a big word. I think I was a Christian for about 20 years before I learned what theological means. Theology, ge geology is the study of rocks, whatever. Biology is the study of theology is the study of God, right? So it's just what do we believe and know about God? And what the author of Revelations is trying to say over and over again is God is worthy of worship. 
And his call to us is to worship him rightly. So I'm, what we're going to do is, is we're going to walk through this. I'm going to try to unpack some of the stuff. If you open up your Bibles to Revelation 21, 1 through 8, we're going to go through. Just to kind of give you a, a, a structure of where we are here. We have come out of very quickly through Revelations. In chapter 18, uh, we see the fall of Babylon, right? Babylon is a representative of the world system and the way that things were done in the system that, the, that Satan now, even now, has over the world, right? And so the, the description of the fall of that, then the rejoicing in heaven, the hallelujahs that Alan talked about last week in 19, and then in 20, I really hate to go over it. We just got to, to like gloss over it because there's like so much that happens there. But the great white throne of judgment and the transition, that's the point where basically the, the world as it was before, the world as it is right now, ends. And what we're going to talk about today is the world as it will be, the new creation. All right? And so in chapters 21 and 22, there's three main parts. We're going to do the first part, which is one through eight. Um, that's mainly what we're going to focus on. It's a brief description of the new city of Jerusalem and what it will look like. And God speaks to how to obtain it. God speaks, not just John, but God. He doesn't intervene much. If you read Revelations in whole, he doesn't intervene much. But at key points, God speaks. Okay? And this is one of those times. He's going to say what we need to do to be there. Uh, we're not going to go into detail, but if you really want to get into all this, the sim symbolism, 21.9 through 22.5 breaks down what this city will look like and what it will be. Um, and it's really hard for us thousands of years later living in another country and in another cultural set to understand the, the rich metaphors that are here. I don't have time to go into it. If you want to, is I think it's Ezekiel 40 through 48 is a lot of just the foundational material that uh, John's pulling from here. Uh, but for people who have been soaked in, this, in the Hebraic scriptures, if you lived in that time, man, the, 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 the points that are here are just like falling off the page. I, I mean, just coming off the page and popping at you. The best example that I have um, is my wife. So my, my wife, Shauna, and I, we both are computer scientists. I, I mentioned that. Um, and people, you know, always ask, oh, y'all just must sit in bed and talk about computers. And no, we actually don't like to talk about work much. But one thing that does happen is because we have such a shared history, right, there are shorthands in the way we talk that are metaphors from computer science. Oh, yeah, that's not an easy thing. It's got an exponential decay curve. It's going to take us a little bit of time in the beginning, but the work will come off. And you're all looking at me like, oh, what? Oh, well, amortize the cost over that. Oh, just do like, you know, a BFS search or a binary tree. There's, like, there's these, these things that are contextual to our shared experience that allow us to rapidly communicate. And I have to be careful because sometimes I use those metaphors and I'll look at someone and they'll go, what are you talking about? Okay. And some of y'all are nodding because I, I tend to do that. Um, but it's the same thing here. We are not, we had, do not have the foundation of all of the, the, the Old Testament in our minds as we're reading this. So you see the pages and you see this, there's Jasper and there's the gates are made of a whole pearl. And it's like, what? <laughs> Man, the live stream just got loud for a second. But that's okay, and, and, and it, I don't want, as we go through this, I don't want to give you the impression that this is an easy text to understand. 
but God is speaking. All right, so let's go through. Let's start. Oh, and then I, that was part two. Is, is the, the the I kind of went off there. The 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 in depth description, and then the final is the epilogue. Is twenty two verses six through twenty one. John's, as they say, landing the plane. God speaks again. And if you want to, you know, extra credit time, if you want to go, it, it mirrors nicely with, with the first few verses of, of Revelation. All right. So let's read it through. I'm going to read it once, and then we're going to try to go verse by verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. Who else said that? Jesus on the cross more or less. Not, I'm not going to promise it's the same Greek word, but he said it is finished. It is done. And there is a dr direct line from heaven breaking through in the person of Jesus at the cross to this point. All that was promised, all that was set in motion from then, God is now saying, it's done. In fact, I'm not reading the scripture all the way through, am I? It actually says they are done. It's the plural God is saying every promise that I have made to humanity is now fulfilled. Jeez. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portions will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Man, such a great first sermon to preach on. Nice and light. <laughs> Let's break it down. I'm just going to go verse by verse. We're first of all just going to try to understand what all is being said here. All right. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. John is using language almost verbatim from Isaiah here. So he's kind of riffing, you know, guitar riffing off of stuff that's already been said. So what is heaven and earth? In the Jewish mindset, heaven and earth encompassed all of creation. Man lives on earth, and in the sky somewhere, that's where God dwells. So God is saying all of creation will be made new. And the word new that's there, it's interesting. Um, I'm not going to go too much into Greek, but it's the word kainos, which is different than neos, which just means kind of brand new. So my, my son over here, Daniel, um, 
those of you who know him, he's probably the next Steve Jobs. Um, and the thing about Steve Jobs that re he reminds me of him, besides liking computers, is what is Steve Jobs famous for with his wardrobe? He has like a hundred black shirts. He did have a, like a hundred black shirts. He found one that he liked, some Japanese you know, wardrobe maker, and it's like, I'd like a hundred of those. I basically want enough for the next 20 years of my life. And he had the same pair of jeans and he had the same pair of shoes, right? So when he you know, wears a shirt and it's worn out and he pulls out a new one, it's new, right? But is it materially different? No. See, what it's saying here when it says, I am making all things new, God is promising that it's not just like a, a reset button that goes back to creation as it was meant to be. It is completely new. Like, for the nerds out there, like, the, the idea of, like, the physics, like, entropy, right, that everything is just, like, out of chaos and whatnot, right, and it's, like, that might not be the case anymore. Like, the fundamental physics of nature are going to be made new. And the sea was no more. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean? I mean, does it mean literally that there's not a sea anymore? I, it, it could be. But again, if we're in the Hebrew mindset water, the sea specifically, is where evil lives. If we look, um, I'll just pull one example here, Revelations 13, 1, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. This is the beast beast for Revelation, right? Um, when water came up out of the sea and from, the, and, and, and from above and flooded the earth, that was a judgment of God, right? So, so water is metaphorically evil and also judgment. So what is he saying here? He's saying like all of the threat of evil is gone, right? All right, let's move on. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Whoa, that's a lot of metaphor there. You know, it... it, it it's a new city, it's a holy city, it's a new city. So some of the language, we don't have time to go into it, but if you look down where it talks about it again, it talks about the angel taking them around and it's the same language that's used when it's talking about Babylon a few chapters back. So here he's making a, a difference, like it, that was the old system, right? And here is the new system. But I just began, he describes it as like a bride adorned for her husband, like what? Is it a city? Is it a physical city? Or is it a metaphor talking about God with his people? You know, I, I, I kind of went back and forth. I, I kind of lean one way. I kind of lean that as a metaphor of God and his people. So I consulted a couple commentaries. And guess what? I, re I read two commentaries. And one said one and one said the other. So, like, I, I don't want to take a, this is not a hill I want to die on of, of, of what it meant. Um, but what is, what's, what, what's important here? What's important here is that this is the place where God is going to dwell with man, right? This is describing the community that we will have and the intimacy that we have with God. I don't really have time to go into all of this. Um, man, there's, if you want Ephesians 5, if you want to write that down, the language of a bride and, and Jesus is it, there with us as well. Um, 
but I'm just going to give a few things here. Uh, it's, 1500, it's described as a 1,500-mile cube, but the gates are only 72 yards high. Well, okay. It's a place, basically, where we don't need gates. You don't need to keep anyone out. It's safe. The kings of earth, this, is, this to me, kind of as someone who's running a business now, speaks to me. It's, it, it says the kings of earth will bring in their glory. It says that down later. You pose that to what it says about Babylon, where it says the kings of the earth will bring in their wealth. God's not really concerned about how much money I make, and he doesn't really even need it. What he is concerned about is my me giving him glory. So, we have this city that's coming down out of heaven, just as Jesus came down, um, just as God came and dwelt with man in the garden. There's this picture of God coming down, right? What, was, what happened at the Tower of Babel? Somebody help me out. They built a tower, right? And they were trying to reach up to God. And we see a pattern again and again of God coming down. All right. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I'll just say here there's a lot of language. The tabernacle, this, this wording of God coming down and dwelling is the exact same that it talks about with Jesus. Okay. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Guys, the curse of Eden is going to be completely removed. The curse that happened because of our disobedience there is completely gone. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more pain. We will be with God, and we will rightly interact with each other. All of the drama will be gone. We will be so close to God. It will all be made right. And he said to me, oh, and he, he was seated on the throne, verse 5, said, behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He's just reiterating again that he's making all things new. One thing I will say, this has an echo for me of Hebrews uh, 6, I believe, where it talks about God has no one else to swear by because there's no one greater than him. Therefore, he swears by himself. So there's, you'll see here, and it's repeated again late, later in 22, God comes up and he says it. And then he says, trust me, I sign this, I co-sign this as being true. Okay? And he said to me, it is done. We already hopped on that one a bit. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. He is the Alpha and the Omega, right? He sits outside time. This is a conversation I have with my kids a lot. Like, what does it mean? Like, how does God relate to time? Like, how can he see the beginning and the end? But he does. It's like time's a line, right? And God's just sitting here and he can look at it both. Pfft. Way too many questions about that in the car. 
So, I hope, I, I know we've kind of walked through it, I've tried to unpack some of the symbolism here, but more than anything, what I want to convey, this is a place you want to be. This is where you want to be. So as we go into this next section, that's the question that kind of went through it. To be honest, I know the thing says, Matthew 1, that we were going to go in there. I was going to do some wonderful stuff and talk it in about Emmanuel, you know, and, and God, that God with us and God being with us here and God being with us there. And that's all true. But as I read this, and I really marinated this the last week or two, this is the verse that stuck out to me. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. And the question that I had is just, I really was asking the Lord is like, who conquers? Like, what does that mean? Like, I, I, I want all of this. Does it mean that I've just said a prayer that I've believe that Jesus is the Son of God? What, what does it mean? Conquers to me seems to imply something more, something active. Like, I got to show up and do something in life, right? So what's frustrating, though, is it doesn't talk about it much here. It just says conquer, right? So what we're going to do real quick is we're going to go in and let's look at verse 8. Because what he does do is talk about it in the reverse. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Guys, this is all metaphor. I, 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 I want to be very cautious here because is there a literal lake of fire? I, I don't know. But John, that's the way he describes being out of the presence of God. Whatever it is, you don't want it. All right. So what does he say here? These are a, it feels like there's just words all over here. Cowardly and unbelieving. A lot of commentators, uh, comment, uh, commentators, I guess is the word, would say those are pulled together. And remember, John is writing this. He's writing it to us today, but he's also writing it to people who are undergoing persecution. And he's saying, stay faithful, stay faithful, stay faithful. Yes, they're burning you alive. Yes, they're rounding you up, but stay faithful. Stay faithful to the end. So those who claim, this is what one commentator said, those who claimed to belong to the church community, but fear of humans, they've compromised. So those who haven't persevered, who've lost faith, detestable murderers, sexual immoral idolaters. These all seem to be things that are tied to the pagan practices of the time. So have you, a lot? you know, there's one thing, and they, they really are tied together, there's one thing to say, to fall faithless to God, but then there's the other piece of actively engaging in the world system. And all liars, those who confess Christ, but betray by compromising behaviors, or false doctrine. Oh, man. This is what someone wrote. The most fundamental problem of humanity is whom they serve or worship. All other problems flow from that. Let me repeat that. 
the most fundamental problem of humanity is whom they serve or worship. All other problems flow from that. So I, real quickly, uh, I did a search. I just, man, if, if you're wanting words, I, I, I threw conquers in there. I'm like, all right, hopefully something is said about conquers. Um, and does anyone know, there, there's a passage earlier on in, in Revelation. It's Revelation 12, 11. It says what? But they overcame, and it's the same word as conquer. They overcame what? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. All right. If you will, real quick, turn with me to 1 John 5. This is what searching real quick does. So this is likely the same author. Not for sure, but it's likely the same author. And we're landing the plane here soon, don't worry. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that, that has overcome or conquers, the same word there, the world, our faith. Let me read that again. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I'm not going to take the time, but he goes on in, in, in 6 through 12 and unpacks the testimony of it, right? The testimony aspect of it. This is my simple question. And I really wanted to not be harsh. I'm sorry if some of this, I have, you know, just seems kind of... Are you faithful right now? You know, um, one of the things the Lord has been doing by His grace, COVID has been, COVID has been so hard. And we all know that. We, we're all feeling a little beat up. But what it did is it disrupted our patterns. It disrupted just the rhythms of our lives. What it did for me is it stopped the things I was doing on cruise control, if I'm real honest. You know, the, even the good things, even the way that I was serving in this church, the ways that, you know, I checked up and I loved on people. And, you know, at the time I was a deacon, um, I couldn't do it that way anymore, and it wasn't easy. And boom, it was like a huge speed bump is the best way I can think about it. But in his grace, what it did is that it caused me to reevaluate and say, is the, are these the things I want to be about? Right? Is this real? Am I doing it just to do it? Or am I doing it because I love the Lord? Am I doing it because I want to be in his word? Because 
I want to pray. I want to dwell with the Lord. That I genuinely love the people that he's put into my life, or am I doing it just to do it? Let me tell you what. It, some of those answers to those questions, I'll be honest with you, were really bad. <laughs> because some of them were you're just doing it. But that's okay. That's okay. It doesn't say those who are perfect. Like if you've read that list and you're like, crap, I'm excluded because I did one of the things on those lists. Guys, there's hope. We talked about it today. These are my questions. And, and, and I hope you hear the heart in which they're asked. They're asked just real. Are you growing in a love for his word? Like, this stuff's hard to understand. And I'm not saying, like, are you, you know, reciting it and memorizing it in Greek? Like, but do you want to? Do, do you want to understand it more? Like, I, if you don't understand it, like, I can name 10 people in this room who will sit down with you one-on-one and walk you through it. It would be the joy in their life to help you study God's word. We've got classes. Looks like, spoiler alert, Alan's gonna be preaching through Acts next year. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but we'll also have an Acts class um, that's going alongside. So if you wanna dive deeper right before on Sunday mornings, we're gonna have a class where we can talk through about what's gonna be preached. And hear me, attending a class is not like, that's not, I'm not saying that that's the measuring stick. But if you truly want to know God's word, you want to attend class, right? How's your prayer life? When's the last time you just took a walk and talked to your father? This is a big one. When's the last time you were convicted of sin? When's the last time that the Lord just nudged on some stuff and said you need to deal with this? Can you tell me the two or three areas in your life right now that the Lord has his finger on. Not that you're walking flawlessly, not that you've got it all figured out. You know, God in his sovereignty doesn't show us all of our sin at once. He, through his Holy Spirit, puts his finger on a couple areas, right? Are you faithful? If it's forgiving someone, if it's letting go of hate in your heart, if it's just stopping doing something, are you doing it? Do you have a desire, a growing desire, to be in biblical community with other people? Guys, if that's not true, it's a problem. Like, I get it. I, you know, I, I came on as elder in July, and the amount of hurt I've had to help people process has been, I'll be honest with you, has been overwhelming. I get that people have hurt you. I get that you're hurting. But God calls us to be faithful. God calls us to come together. You know, I, I didn't say it earlier, but Ray Ortland, uh, man, Ray Ortland's like a man's man, Christian pastor. He's retired now, but he has guns and does lots of stuff. But he wrote a book from Nine Marks called The Gospel, and he describes the church this way. It's a prophetic sign pointing to the future reality of New Jerusalem. Guys, this right here is New Jerusalem. It's battered. It ain't perfect. And not this church. 
local churches still, let me be very clear, the church at large, but also too, your involvement in a local church community is how you tap into that now. And this one, this is the, this is the one I ask myself over and over again. Is Jesus enough? May I, I just I, write that somewhere? Ask yourself that constantly. Is Jesus enough? Because the metaphors that are there about gold streets and all this stuff, guys, that's metaphor. There may, may be gold, but it's going to be such peanuts in comparison to being in the presence of God. And let me tell you what, if you don't enjoy spending time with Jesus now, if he's not your great and precious reward now, he won't be in eternity. Hey, and hear this, we've all got areas to work on, but if you're working faithful and you know what the Lord's doing and you're pressing in, great. Like, I'm not trying to bring conviction where there not, need not be conviction, but press in. You know, what I wrote here is, Father, okay, Father, what's next? That's the Christian life, is the, what's next? Lord, I've conquered this. Okay, what's next? All right, you know, I know Scott's over here running. Did, did you get the marathon or just the half? Okay, I haven't gotten it. Scott, if you see Scott sometimes on Sunday morning, he's coming and he's like walking funny because he and Patricia just you know, ran like 300 miles. Um, I watched someone on TV run 300 miles once. Um, but right, it's like he, he's got to do a mile and he's got to do two miles and he's got to do five miles, right? Because you've got to build up that stamina. So the question always is, is what's next? And if that's the case, that's just my, my, my challenge to you. That's person number one, as, as Alan would put it. If, if it's not, man, draw near to God. That's the word that has just, in my spirit, just been going all week. It's just draw near. You know, God has come down in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus says time and time again, the kingdom of God is come or near. You see, God has spanned 99.9999999 of the distance. And he's right behind us. And he just says, draw near. If you want a little extra assignment, just, just put that in your search app. Draw near. Read through the Bible. See where it talks about drawing near. I'll throw one at you right now. This is James 4, 8 through 10. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, this is not easy to preach. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Another one, Psalms 24, 3 through 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? You see, there's this metaphor we see over and over again as God has come down, but we're called to ascend the hill of the morning. Spoiler alert, that's what church is. This church is the temple of God. And when you come in here on a rhythm of Sunday, it ain't so your kids can go to some program. They need to go there. My children need to know about God. But more than anything, you need to ascend the hill of the Lord. And you need to shut down what's going on in the world right now. And you need to say, God, I turn my eyes to heaven. It is, it is 
the pattern that was begun all the way in the garden and by God, you know, and the, then the tabernacle and the temple. And then, spoiler alert, Jesus came down. We're going to see this in a few weeks and ripped the temple. And now the Holy Spirit's inside of you, but we also come together to the temple of God together and we ascend. Okay? So, what does he say we have to do? Who shall dwell in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his souls to what is false, his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Those last three, clean hands and pure heart, does not lift up his soul to what is false. An idol is what another translation says, and does not swear deceitfully. Those three things I said earlier from Revelation, cowards and unbelievers, those who are in idolatry, and all liars. There's perfect symmetry there. So, that's all I got. I, I don't, I know I didn't quite have my three points, but that's my challenge to you today. Draw near to God. He is so close. Guys, this week stunk. I'll just be honest with you. If, if I was convicted of anything this week, it was that I need to pray for Alan more. And I just challenge you, whoever you find out who's pray, preaching and your leaders in general, pray for them. Because this week was comically hard. <laughs> but in the midst of it, I just looked at God and said, I said, Father, you've got to show up. Jesus, be near. And he was. You see, we have this picture that the world's going to get silent. And it's all going to be okay. And then we'll hear God. But if we go back to Psalms 46 and you read through that, it's chaos. <laughs> it's literal chaos going on. It's not going to slow down. But in the midst of it, what does he tell us to do? Stop and acknowledge he's God. So, man, if you need to do business, if the Lord's putting something on you in your heart, just come up and pray. I'll pray with you. Or just do business with God. Don't walk out of here with a hardened heart. Don't. You don't have to have all the answers. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know, I, I'll, close with, I'll, I'll close with this. I'm sorry. Um, phew, man. You know, I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but Hebrews just has always just been a special thing for me. And one of the things the author does, you can read through it and see, he says over and over again, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And you see, what happens is, is if, what, if, if, if we hear his voice enough and we don't respond, he won't speak anymore. Like, I'm, I don't have time. I'm happy to unpack that. That's a hard reality to deal with. But that is scriptural, is that if we, if the Lord taps on our shoulder and tells us to deal with something, and we don't, and then he says it a little bit more, and we don't, our hearts get hardened and harder and harder. And what happens eventually is it's, it's actually for our redemptive good because he wants us then to go into the sin and it to get so bad that we, we're broken and we have to come to him. But let me tell you, that path is really, really hard, and you don't want to do it. So I urge you as, as, I, as, I, as we close... This is just a prayer. It's not scriptural, but it comes from that, that I have prayed to the Lord over and over again. 
Lord, if my heart is so hard that I can't hear you anymore, by your grace, speak once more and soften my heart just enough to hear it.